Chapter Twenty Nine of Dawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sunny. Dawn by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Twenty Nine. Dorothy tries her hand. It was on a mild day in February that Susan met Dorothy Parkman on the street. She stopped her at once. "'Well, if I ain't glad to see you,' she cried. "'I didn't know you'd got back.' "'I haven't been back long, Susan.' "'You ain't been over to see us once, Miss Dorothy,' Susan reproached her. "'I have been very busy.' Miss Dorothy seemed ill at ease and anxious to get away. "'And you didn't come for a long, long time when you was here last fall.' Susan had laid a detaining hand on the girl's arm now. "'Didn't I?' Miss Dorothy smiled brightly. "'Well, perhaps I didn't, but you didn't need me anyway. "'I've heard all about it, the splendid work Mr. Burton and his son have done for John McGuire, and I'm so glad.' "'Oh, yes, that's all right,' Susan spoke without enthusiasm. "'And the book is going to be published?' "'Yes, oh, yes,' Susan still spoke with a preoccupied frown. "'Why, Susan, what's the matter? I thought you'd be glad.' Susan drew a long sigh. I am glad, Miss Dorothy. I'm awful glad for John McGuire. They say it's wonderful the change in him already. He's so proud and happy to think he's done it. Not simply proud, you understand, but just humbly proud and glad. And his mamma says he's writing other things now, poems and stories, and he's as happy as a lark all day. And I'm awful glad. But it's Keith hisself that I'm thinking of. You see, only yesterday I found him crying. Crying? Miss Dorothy seemed to have forgotten all about her haste to get away. She had Susan's arm in her grasp now. She had pulled her to one side, too, where they could have a little sheltered space to talk in the angle of two-store windows. Yes, crying. You see, twas like this, hurried on Susan. Miss McGuire was over, and I'd been reading a new poem to her and him. "'Twas a real pretty one, too, if I do say it as shouldn't. "'The best I ever done. "'All about how fame and beauty and pleasure "'didn't count nothing besides working. "'I got the idea out of something I found in a magazine. "'Twas just grand, and it gave me the perspiration right away "'to turn it into a poem. "'And I did, and t'was that I was reading. "'I just got it done that morning.' "'Yes, yes,' nodded Miss Dorothy. "'I see.' Well, I never thought of its meaning anything to Keith, or of his taking it no-how wrong. But after Miss McGuire had gone home, she came out and sat with me a spell first in the kitchen. I heard a queer little noise in the sitting-room, and I went and looked in. Keith was at the table, his arms flung straight out in front of him, and his head bowed down, and Miss Dorothy, he was crying like a baby. Oh, Susan, what did you do? "'What did you say?' "'Say? Nothing!' Susan's eyes flashed her scorn. "'Do you suppose I'd let that poor lamb know I'd see him crying? "'Well, I guess not. "'I backed out as soft as a feather bed, "'and I didn't go near that sitting-room for an hour, "'nor let anyone else. "'I was a regular dragonfly guarding it. "'Well, by and by, Keith comes out. "'His face was white and strained-looking, but he was smiling, and he handed out my poem. I'd left it on the table when I come out with Miss McGuire. 
i found this paper on the table susan it's your poem isn't it he says real cheerful like then he turns kind of quick and leaves the room without another word well i didn't know then twas the poem he'd been crying over i didn't know till this morning then something he said maybe see right off why susan what was it twas something about work but first you wouldn't understand it unless you see the poem and i can show it to you cause i got it right here i'm trying to memorialize it so i keep it with me all the time and repeat one line over and over till i get it it's right here in my bag you'll find it's the best i've wrote miss dorothy i'm sure you will she went on a bit wistfully you see i used a lot of the words that was in the magazine not that i pleasurized it any of course mine's different cause mine is poetry and theirs is prosy there i guess maybe you can read it even if it's my writin she finished taking a sheet of note-paper from her bag and carefully spreading it out for miss dorothy to read and this is what dorothy read contentment wealth i asked for the earth but when in my hands it shriveled and crumbled away and the green of its trees and the blue of its skies changed to a somber gray beauty i asked for the moon but the shimmering thing was only reflected gold and vanished away at my glance and touch and was then but a tale that is told pleasure i asked for the stars and lots of them came and twinkled and danced for me but the whirling light soon wearied my gaze i squinched their flame in the sea fame i asked for the sun but the fiery ball brought down from its home on high scorched and blistered my fingertips as i swirled it back to the sky labor i asked for a hoe and i set me to work and my red blood danced as i went at night i rested and looking back i counted my day well spent but susan i don't see began miss dorothy lifting puzzled eyes from the last line of the poem i don't see what there is about that to make mr keith cry no i didn't till this morning and then well keith came out into the kitchen and begun one of them tramps of his up and down the room it always drives me nearly crazy when he does that but i can't say anything of course i did begin this morning to talk about john mcguire and how fine it was he'd got something he could do and thought it would take the poor boy's mind off hisself if i could get him talkin about john mcguire he's been so interested in john all winter and so glad he could help him you know he's always wanted to help somebody hisself instead of always having somebody helpin him but dear me instead of it being a quieter now for him it was a regular stirrup that's just it that's just it susan he moans you've got to have your work or you die there's nothing in the whole world like work your work john mcguire's got his work and i'm glad of it but where's mine where's mine i tell you and i told him he'd just been having his work helping john mcguire you know it was wonderful perfectly wonderful miss dorothy the way the two men got hold of john mcguire you know john wouldn't speak to anybody not anybody till keith and his father found some way to get on the inside of his shell and keith's been so happy all winter doing it and his father too so i tried to remind him that he'd been doing his work but it didn't do no good keith said that was all very well and he was glad 
of course but that was only a little bit of a thing and twas all past and gone and john didn't need em any more and there wasn't anything left for him now at all oh miss dorothy he talked awfully i never heard him run on so and i knew from a lot of it that he had said that he was thinking of that poem he wouldn't ask for wealth or beauty or fame or anything and that there didn't anything count but labor you see yes i see miss dorothy's voice was very low her face was turned quite away yet susan was very sure there were tears in her eyes and his father he's most as bad as keith sighed susan they're both as nervous as witches what with the war and all and they're not being able to do anything oh they do give money lots of it liberty bonds and red cross and drives of course you knew they'd got it now their money didn't you miss dorothy yes i'd heard so not that it seems to do em any particular good complained susan wistfully oh of course things ain't so ambiguous as they was and we have more to eat and wear and don't have to worry about bills but they ain't any happier as i can see if only keith could find something yes i know sighed miss dorothy again as she turned slowly away i wish he could well come to see us won't you urged susan anxiously that'll help some it'll help a lot but miss dorothy did not seem to have heard at least she did not answer yet not twenty-four hours later she was ringing the burton's doorbell no no not there i want to see you she panted a little breathlessly when susan would have led her away to the living-room but keith would be so glad begged susan no no i particularly don't want him to know i'm here insisted dorothy and without further ado but with rebellious lips and eyes susan led the way to the kitchen susan i have a scheme i think that may help out mr keith began the young girl abruptly i'll have to begin by telling you something of what i've seen during those last two or three months while i've been away a mr wilson an old college friend of my father's has been taking a lot of interest in the blind especially since the war he got to thinking of the blinded soldiers and wishing he could help them he had seen some of them in canada and talked with them what he thought of first for them was brooms and basket weaving and chair caning same as everybody does but he found they had a perfect horror of those things they said nobody bought such things except out of pity they'd rather have the machine-made kind and these men didn't want things bought of them out of pity you see they were big well strong young fellows like john mcguire here and they were groping around trying to find a way to live all those long years of darkness that they knew were ahead of them they didn't have any special talent but they wanted to work do something that was necessary not be charity folks as they called it i know responded susan sympathetically well this mr wilson is at the head of a big electrical machinery manufacturing company near chicago like mr sanborn's here you know and suddenly one day it came to him that he had the very thing right in his own shop a necessary kind of work that the blind could be taught to do my land what was it think of blind folks going to work in a big shop like tom sanborn's i know but there was something it was wrapping the coils of wire with tape mr wilson said they used hundreds of thousands of these coils all the time 
and they had to be wrapped to insulate them. It was this work that he believed the blind could learn to do. Anyhow, he was determined to try it, and try it he did. He sent for those soldiers he had talked with in Canada, and he took two or three of father's patients and opened a little winding room with a good electrical engineer in charge. And do you know, it was wonderful the way those poor fellows took hold of that work. Why, they got really skillful in no time, and they learned to do it swiftly, too. My land, breathed Susan again. They did. He took me in to see them one day. It was just a big room on the ground floor of an office building. He didn't put them in his shop. He said he wanted to keep them separate, for the present, anyway. It had two or three long tables, and the superintendent moved up and down the room overseeing their work and helping where it was necessary. There was a new man that morning, and it was perfectly wonderful how he took hold of it and they were all so happy, laughing and talking and having the best time ever. But they sobered up real earnest when Mr. Wilson introduced one or two of them to me, one man in particular. He was one of the soldiers, a splendid, great, blonde fellow, six feet tall and only twenty-one. He told me what this work meant to them, how glad they were to feel of real use in the world. Then his face flushed, and his shoulders straightened a bit and we're even helping a little to win the war he said for these coils we're winding now or for some armatures to go in some big motors that are going to be used in making munitions so you see we are helping a little bless his heart he didn't know how much he was helping everyone just by his big brave courage well susan all this gave me an idea after what you said yesterday about mr keith and i wondered why couldn't he wind coils too and maybe he'd get others to do it also so i went to mr sanborn and he's perfectly willing to let us give it a trial he's pleased and interested and says he will furnish everything for the experiment including a first-class engineer to superintendent only he can't spend any time over it himself and we'll have to get somebody else to take charge and make arrangements about the place and the starting of it and all that and susan now comes my second idea could we do you suppose we could get mr daniel burton to take charge of it oh miss dorothy if only we could it would be so fine for mr keith and for all the others i've been hearing everywhere how wonderfully he got hold of john mcguire he did he did cried susan and he's like a different man all the time he was doing it he hadn't no use for his painting lately and he's been so uneasy i'm sure he'll do it if you ask him good then i will is he home to-day yes he's upstairs i'll call him susan sprang to her feet with alacrity but susan just a minute miss dorothy had put out a detaining hand is is mr keith here too yes both of em keith's in the sittin room and i'll call his father down twon't take but just a minute susan was plainly chafing at the detaining hand no no susan miss dorothy too had sprung to her feet if if mr keith is here i'll wait i want to see mr daniel burton first uh, alone to tell him about it you know she added hastily as susan began to frown her disappointment but i don't see why argued susan her disapproving eyes on the girl's flushed cheeks i should think you'd want to talk it up with both of em yes yes of course but not at first stammered miss dorothy plainly growing more and more embarrassed as she tried to appear less so 
I would rather, um, that is, I think it would be better to ask Mr. Daniel Burton first, and then after we get it well started, let him tell his son. So I'll come by tomorrow in the morning at ten. Mr. Keith is with Mr. John McGuire then, isn't he? And over at his house? I heard he was. Yes, he is, most generally. Then I'll come then, if, if you'll tell Mr. Daniel Burton, please, hurried on Miss Dorothy, and ask him to see me, and please, please keep it from Mr. Keith, Susan. Truly, I don't want him to know a thing about it until his father and I have got it all fixed up, she finished. But, Miss Dorothy, I know that Keith would want to— Susan! With an imperiousness quite foreign to her usual manner, Miss Dorothy cut in sharply. If you don't promise to speak only to Mr. Daniel Burton about this matter, I shall not come at all. Oh, land sakes! Well, well, have it your own way, snapped Susan. You promise? Yes, I promise. Susan's lips obeyed her, but her eyes were still mutinous. Good. Thank you, Susan. Then I'll come tomorrow at ten, nodded Miss Dorothy once again, her smiling gracious self, as she turned to leave the room. End of chapter 29 Recording by Sunny.